X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics' marvelous mutants through their many amazing titles each month. Now, I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today, we have a little bit of old, a little bit of new, but a lot of bit of amazing. We're going to be taking a look at the most recent issues of New Mutants and S.W.O.R.D., But first up, I want to continue our segment on fact-checking X. People were really glad to hear that there is some order to the Omnibus collections, and it led some people to asking about some other titles that are in the X-Men family. Now, for many people, when they think of the New Mutants, they think of the classic Chris Claremont 1980s experience. Of course, that saw the addition of incredible artists like Bob McCloud, Sal Buscema, and a Pretty notably, Bill Sienkiewicz joined the title and helped make their mark. It's also of note that Louise Simonson did a good portion of the writing on this series, with Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson each covering about half of the run. Now, that run has been collected a number of different ways and a number of different times. It's led to some difficulty, perhaps, finding the best way to read something. For many readers of The New Mutants, those earliest years are sort of the most classic. Now, that's roughly 1984 to 1985, somewhere in there. You know, 1986 being the pinnacle year of comics in the 80s. So, that first run is broken into several of the Marvel Epic Collections, of which only two have come out so far. If you're looking to find out a little bit more about the original New Mutants, you can check out Marvel Epic Collections 1 and 2, which cover roughly issues 1 to 31, as well as a host of bonuses, like, of course, Marvel Graphic Novel number 4, Uncanny X-Men 167, Marvel Team-Up Annual number 6, Magic 1 through 4, Marvel Team-Up number 100's Karma Story, featuring Frank Miller, as well as the first annual. Now, from there, because of the way that the epic collections are put together, there's sort of a huge jump. The next volume is numbered 5, and sees New Mutants 55 to 70, along with Annual number 4. The following volume is Exterminators 1 through 4, along with New Mutants 71 through 85, before the run terminates with the 7th volume Cable, which sees New Mutants 86 to 94, the New Mutants Annual 5-6, the New Mutants Summer Special Number 1, and additional material from an annual's crossover, seeing X-Factor Annual 5 and X-Men Annual 14 make it into the title. If you're somebody who wants to know more about the classic New Mutants, and you're way more of an omnibus person, there is a ton out there for you. However, it does get a little bit difficult all said and done. The first New Mutants Marvel Omnibus was released in 2020 and saw the inclusion of just about everything that was in those first two epic collections, and a little more. It saw Marvel Graphic Novel number 4, New Mutants 1 to 34, the first annual of the series, the same Marvel Team-Up Karma story, as well as Marvel Team-Up 149 and annual number 6. It would also see the inclusion of a handful of X-Men issues, number 160, 167, 180, 189, and 192. Magic 1 through 4, the classic story that gave us the painstaking time that Ileana spent in Limbo, 
is also reprinted in this Marvel graphic novel. Coming out shortly will be the second New Mutants omnibus, which is going to see the inclusion of issues 35 to 54, as well as annuals 2, 3, Special Edition number 1, X-Men annuals 9 and 10, Power Pack 20 and 33, the complete miniseries of Fallen Angels, the original run, 1 through 8, as well as Firestar, 1 through 4. I know Emma kills a horse. Guys, I know Emma kills a fucking horse, okay? Everyone knows Emma kills the horse. And I promise you, if Emma could do the whole thing again, I bet she wouldn't kill the horse, okay? I bet she wouldn't kill the horse. It also sees the inclusion of a later addition to the series, New Mutants War Children. New Mutants War Children was one of two incredible stories that Chris Claremont would reunite with Bill Sienkiewicz to write into the New Mutants universe, along with a story that was included in Marvel Unlimited number 34, which did get collection in the Marvel IDW Artist Series Special for New Mutants. It was a Bill Sienkiewicz edition that included just about every page Bill ever did for the New Mutants. Now, this book is unfortunately well out of print, but they have done a terrific TPB of it. So if you're someone who's a little bit more artist-specific, the Bill Sienkiewicz TPB by IDW is pretty terrific. Keen-eared listeners may realize that New Mutants, the original series, terminated to become X-Force. So of course... Those final few New Mutants issues, New Mutants 98 through 100, as well as Annual 7, which was always fun to kind of figure out where it goes, find themselves in X-Force Volume 1 Omnibus. Funny story, that Omnibus was in print so heavily for so long, it was a book that you could comfortably find at a convention for like $30. Like, there was no difficulty finding the X-Force Omnibus for $30 at a convention, and now, if you try and find it online, it goes for several hundred. So I do want to point out, if you're somebody who's kind of hardcore about making sure you get all of the Omnibus collections, you probably want to grab them as soon as they come out, because this X-Force book, I got it for $22, and now I could probably sell it for 200 So it's the kind of thing where you need to be a little on top of it as these start rolling out, as I know Blake, Drew, Rod, and Nathan on the show are more than happy to tell you. It would, of course, not be X-Men if they didn't have their hands in every cookie jar. So, of course, the New Mutants find themselves appearing in a number of other Marvel Omnibus editions. Issues 84 to 86 appear in Acts of Vengeance crossovers. Issues 75 in the 5th Annual show up in Atlantis Attacks. New Mutants Annual 2 shows up in both printing and editions of Captain Britain. Cloak and Dagger No. 1 sees the inclusion of 23 to 25, a famous New Mutants Cloak and Dagger story. Deadpool Beginnings includes New Mutants 98, his first appearance. Evolutionary War gives us New Mutants Annual No. 4 while Marvel Universe by John Byrne Volume 2 delivers New Mutants 75. The Secret Wars 2 crossover omnibus included New Mutants 30, 36, and 37, while the X-Factor by Peter David Upcoming Omnibus Volume 1 will include New Mutants Annual Number 6 and sort of the same reciprocity that the other annuals appeared in some of the New Mutants collections. Then we get into the great age of the X-Men crossover, where we see X-Men Mutant Massacre Omnibus include New Mutants 46, X-Men Inferno prologue coming up this year, including New Mutants 62 to 67, and X-Men Inferno Omnibus, including 71 to 73. Now, 
Marvel doesn't have a great history for always reprinting the issues from crossovers in the omnibus lines, so it might get a little tricky to properly collect as much of the New Mutants original run in omnibus as you'd like. So I definitely recommend keeping an eye out on the wiki and also on some of the more complete X-Men fan sites where they do a great job listing out everywhere you can get some of these. Now, it's also of note that Marvel has been on a tear reprinting a number of their most classic omnibus lines lately, so if you are a completionist, like pretty much everybody on our team, you're going to be able to get a lot of these. We just got news that in January we see the return of the Stan Lee-era X-Men omnibus volumes 1 and 2, covering issues 1 through 66, as well as a host of bonuses, so it does look like it's a good time to be an X-Fan if you're somebody that wants to collect a little bit more of what you've come to love. Of course, what we've come to love is an amazing modern era full of crazy new ideas that are busting down the doors of mutant storytelling, and one of the books that does that beautifully is S.W.O.R.D. In this next segment, Rod, Raven, and Robbie give us the what's what on S.W.O.R.D. number 5. These three have covered nearly every issue of the title since its inception, which has made for an incredible opportunity to trace the narrative growth, whether it was in that debut double-sized issue, or the stunning work they did weaving the title in and out of King and Black. S.W.O.R.D. has been a book that has delivered endlessly. We hope you guys survive this experience, and if you like what you hear, you'll probably like what you see, so feel free to give us a subscribe over on Twitter, YouTube, or Patreon. We love making this show for you twice a week, every single week, so maybe drop us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell everybody how you feel. Hope you love it. Guys, enjoy this next segment, and then stick around to hear Nathan talk a little bit more about the modern new mutants. Hello, and welcome to the next segment of X is for Podcast. I am Rod. You can find me at Rodkamada on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have with us the marvelous Raven. Hey, it's Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. Go ahead and find me over on Twitter, Twitch, uh, Instagram a little bit. Uh, can't wait to see you. And today we also have Robbie with us. How you doing, Robbie? Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> It's a fun little Sunday, but, um, so I'm Robbie, and y'all can find me at Adrian Polaris on Twitter. Perfect. All right, we got the whole crew here, as, like, Nico likes to call it, three, the 3R three group. <laughs> uh, so we have Sword. Reading, is- writing, arithmetic, yeah. There we go. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Arithmetic. Yeah. Even though, like, writing without the W. Like, <laughs> and, spelled... and, and arithmetic is arithmetic, but you know. True, true. We, <laughs> we can spell things how we want. It's fine. It's our show. Like, speak, like Tricks and Katya, it's our show. We can do what the hell we want. So it's fine. <laughs> so, uh, back to sword number five. <laughs> it is, this is issue number five, like I said, just said. Um, it's by Al Ewing and Virilio Shidi, which I'm sad because Virilio Shidi's about to leave. So. Um, you get Marty Garcia. I think Marty's staying. Uh, VCs Ariana Mahi, and then is a letter, and then Tom Mueller is the design. Uh, all right, so we're in issue. This is the first issue we have outside of the King and Black stuff because mm-hmm. you know, issue number one was no King 
in black and then issue two three and four was all king in black yeah. so now we're back like just excellent stuff. the king in black stuff was fun but it went on for a while now it's over we think we're fine now let's go to <laughs> the excellent stuff and back on krakoa good and proper well it's kind of interesting that we are uh that <laughs> so far 60 percent of this book has taken place in an event and and now we're getting back to i guess you called the main story but honestly it it, it felt like it was all part of their main story and not mm-hmm. just part of an event because mm-hmm. you know somehow there's like sometimes there's a little bit of that disconnect this just felt like it went right back into place right where it was like it never left it was really good i definitely agree with that because sometimes when there's a tie-in like with that disconnect that you mentioned it tends to you know sometimes make those issues feel like a filler arc where it's yes. like, hey, you know, here's this little storyline for nine issues. Mm-hmm. And then you get like the two issue um, event where it's like, okay, here's a character doing all that little shit. And then it brings it right back to the story. And I like that because like sometimes you might want to be like, all right, I'll just skip those issues and go back. Where, but this, it's like, it feels so connected to the overall plot. And I feel like that's so fucking hard to do for um some creative teams and it's honestly impressive yeah absolutely i would definitely have to agree because i mean we even we've even read some tie-in issues even not even king and black where it's just like it just ups the whole story and everything this one definitely did it definitely flowed it actually probably made it even better because we got this spotlights here like manifold and friends who aren't in this issue um <laughs> but they they last issue they had really big moments so i get it let oh, other yeah. characters shine so one character really did shine in his his birthday suit the whole time, which is Fabian ah! Cortez. So he's a gorgeous man. He's a trash man, but he has a good body, and I like I appreciate that. Good for him. You know, if you can't have a good personality, at least there's something to look at. So I mean, what you don't have to talk to him. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all he did was, though. He just talked, 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 talk, trying to be all schmoozy and, and, and you know, do his thing. And it's like, dude, you are standing there butt-ass naked, covered in yolk. Talking <laughs> I laughed, to <laughs> Right, I laughed so hard hard like sweet because like this is honestly like he said in his own freaking words this is his worst nightmare mm-hmm. like and it was so perfect that this was his worst nightmare just absolutely come true like the humiliation of it all the the, the not having your your control and your power and they just oh my god the way they dragged him over the coals oh it was it was really glorious. I know some people had a little bit of issues with it, and we'll go, we'll get to that point. Um, I don't think any of us had issues with it, but still, we'll get to that point. But first, I just want to acknowledge, um, no, no, not too much shade to Jean's, you know, skirt look. Um, but I love her, like one of her original costumes that she has on here that we haven't seen in a while. I just think she looks so good. I'm so grateful for it that we didn't get the skirt moment. And then I'm like, Hon- this honestly, so this, good. yeah, this outfit I liked a lot more. I miss her. Yeah. Like let's br- let's bring back these kind of outfits. Like the Marvel Girl outfits, maybe that works when you're like 18 years old and living in the 70s and you don't know any better. <laughs> but but when you're a 30, 40 something year old woman, 
living in this 2020 times girl no <laughs> right and i i think maybe and if we're getting ahead of jean gray maybe she's like you know she might be nostalgic and it's like oh you know i'm with my you know husband against scott and they haven't really they haven't had a happy time in shit like 10 years so she's like well i'm gonna be marvel goes again and we're gonna you know be blah 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 and that's all i can think of like it's like oh she's just trying to be like in like a new moment it's like oh, i'm gonna be like my old self again but like no you're like the new gene <laughs> yep. let's give us the new gene the new gene is is what we want but then we go to the quiet council mm -hmm. and we get abigail brand speaking of fact and it's glorious and i love that they give her all these different forms of green to wear mm -hmm. and she looks so good i want to i want to wear this <laughs> personally <laughs> women's pantsuit i want to wear it i won't fit in it but <laughs> i absolutely adore abigail brand's fashion because it it walks that wonderfully fine balance between sometimes more masculine sometimes more feminine but always crisp clean and in control which is exactly who she is that is what she is about so i love it love, love, love it. oh i think we uh we may have uh, kind of flashed over the part of the book where we see uh some of the snarks snarks yeah snarks mm -hmm. um that one trying to get safe oh prince wessel trying to get safe passage apparently out of the backwoods that he's in and that does not end well for him no no it doesn't and i love that in the beginning of the book it's like in these kind of like hickman-esque books you get like the information paid like you mm -hmm. know crisis protocols engaged and all this it kind of gives you like a little preview of what's about to happen like what's trying to go on with all these wars and sabotage and espionage and all that other like political bullshit that's in space right now <laughs> and it's great I, i'm loving that we're getting like the you know the kree intelligence is still around and we're getting these different kinds of you know alien creatures mm -hmm. and i mean i didn't know who this was gonna be i don't know if y'all had any guesses before the end of the book of it mm -hmm. who was killing these people mm -hmm. did y'all have any guesses no well, you know i was trying to think of who could pull it off and i thought it might have been uh more of like a, a lesser known or lesser seen background character because i mean sword is so good at using characters that we haven't seen in a long time because mm -hmm. i was thinking mm, maybe it's i don't know maybe it's one of the mutant assassins maybe it's somebody from like the morlocks or whatnot but ooh, the surprise guest at the end was actually rather surprising i liked it i liked it a lot what did you think well watch it we'll get to what we think about it later when we actually get the character let's yeah. hold off on that <laughs> yeah. i do want to say though i it kind of hints at because we all know the reveal of the etina and that you know sunfire and tench is on there and polaris and everybody um i bring that up because you know sunfire died when fabian died too and then Jean's like, mm -hmm. we don't have time for a party for you. Nobody really cared that you died. <laughs> but Sunfire Ceremony, though, was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that shit took me out because she was wow. like, she was like, we made sure to throw a big ass party for that, right. <laughs> and oh we had a good god. ass time at that. <laughs> oh my god, she just for filth, for absolute filth. I almost fell out my seat laughing at that one because they not only did they render her look so perfectly, like his response, like the, the downtrodden look on his face it's like i love the emotions i love i love the facial expressions but yeah it's like yeah no no nobody cared that you actually died in fact we kind of waited two weeks because those hangovers <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would feel that way too if gene gray the gene gray the omega level mutant used to be a quiet counselor
council member, she is, she's the phoenix, told me I didn't matter. I'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, it's fine. <laughs> I loved it. But yeah, like the fact that she, like she walked him all the way over to the council meeting. Even Peepers got to show up fully dressed and sit in a chair. I love Peepers. <laughs> Whereas Fabian Cortez is just standing there butt-ass naked, like, being indignant. <laughs> It'd be great. It was. I mean, and this whole thing with Fabian Cortez, I feel like was honestly needed with his character because I, I was afraid. I think we all were when, like, the first issue came that he was going to fall into, like, Magneto was going to fall into the same characteristics he had before with the Brotherhood of Mute Evil Brotherhood uh, and with Fabian Cortez and all. Even Frenzy was like, oh, no, why are we doing this? You're going to disrupt shit. But we get this whole little, like, uh, Catch-22, and it's like, no, no, no. We're going to, Magneto already informed everybody what's happening. We're going to show him, like, his place. Oh, yeah. This new yes. And it, it, it was gorgeously done, because literally everybody was in on that. Nobody had to guess what was going on. Magnus went ahead and just, hey, this is this is what's going on. Here's, here's what we need to deal with, and I know that we're going to need to deal with him in rather short order. order. Uh, maybe not exile, but we definitely need to knock him down a few pegs because he thinks he can just go back to his old ways of manipulation and uh, you know talk his way basically out of any sort of accountability which is definitely not the case you know we have laws we have rules and if you willfully break them like he did he needs to know that's not going to settle well with anybody on the council exactly I, I honestly love that they let him go through his whole spiel before going through it because you could tell like some people wanted to interrupt or say something and they're like no let's just you know let's let him go i mean storm did say like oh have you have you you know right have you had trauma, little rich boy? <laughs> Yo, and that was funny when he was talking about what, like, quote-unquote little money he was left with, and he showed Emma rolling her eyes. <laughs> oh, I barely have a six-figure home in Florida. <clears throat> that was a call. I, I know Al Ewing was like, this is Fabian's Trump right now. This is Trump. I know it was, because Trump said the same thing. He was like, oh, I just got a you know, measly $1 million loan. When he was first running for president remember he said i just have a million dollar mm-hmm. loan for my father and that's it i was like oh that's it same thing million dollars right, right like oh such a pittance and yeah like everybody on the council just rolling their eyes like dude seriously and they they let him hang himself with rope of his own fashioning it was gorgeously done i giggled and i love the fact that again somebody that fabian cortez deemed as very much lower than himself was was just absolutely grilling him like peepers ripped him to shreds in the most polite and sweet way possible i freaking love he's like what's your name you know he's like what what's what's your name not not the name that you your you know society gave you but like what's your mutant name and you could tell that yes fabian cortez is still very much held on to um the the privilege that he is was granted by his family just for you know being born but then you know he talks about oh we've been shunned me and my sister were kicked out and that's why i'm upset at humans and it's like so you got your rich boy toys pulled because your parents are dicks and that's why you hate the whole of humanity 
Okay, asshole. Right? No, definitely. I love that they gave Peepers this character that basically nobody knows. Like, we know of him. It's mm-hmm. a long time ago. We don't really know anything about now. Um, they give him this really, like, like you said, like, really sweet, shady moment. And it's really, I feel like it really speaks on, like, the character's intelligence and how he really feels about the whole mutant. He's like, well, what's your name? Like, how do you, how do you associate yourself in the mutant community? Because the name is a big, like, this is giving yourself a name outside of, like, like you said, the other world name, the other life. Mm-hmm. It That cements you into the site. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't just have code names to have. This is for you to be a mutant. That is your mutant name. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. I do want to ask y'all, what did y'all think? Because he does have a point, but it's also coming from Fabian Cortez. Right. He says, our oppressors may us, humiliate us, strip us of who we are, but unless we consider their feelings, we are the true mom. Now, what did y'all think about that? No. <laughs> no. No. Because uh, I've been oppressed. I have definitely been denigrated. I have been humiliated, belittled. Uh, I had my integrity, my intelligence, and my work impugned because of, you know, my gender, <laughs> my race, just my looks, everything. So for him to say, well, what about the oppressor's feelings? Fuck them. Especially if they've been doing it for hundreds of years like we've we've already thought about their feelings their feelings have been addressed on more than one level and as we've seen again and again and again mutants have tried to address human or homo sapien feelings about their existence about who and what they are and every time they just want to oppress more like they're fuck their feelings <laughs> the longer short of it fuck their feelings their feelings don't matter because their feelings are i should be able to oppress you because of who you are because I'm scared of you. Well, if you're scared, that's your own fucking issue. You've never even tried to actually get to know me as a as a sentient being, you know, and as a mutant, like, as a mutant going into space, you're now going to be finding more uh, extraterrestrial life and whatnot out there. Like, some of, the, some of the parlor tricks that mutants can pull are nothing compared to what these aliens can pull. So who gives a fuck what some uh, what some humans think? Yeah, Fabian could go fuck himself with that quote because <laughs> you know all he really had was like his rich privileges stolen away from humans where he literally does not understand what some mutants uh that look different because of their mutation are treated like beast or mm-hmm. pixie or um a bunch of nightcrawler a bunch of other ones like he can never really comprehend Mm -hmm. what they could deal with or even what other um mutants that are people of color deal with on a double basis Mm -hmm. like he you know like who the fuck cares what an oppressor thinks i don't (laughs) a lot of these mutants on that island don't give a fuck (laughs) i mean they they said their piece they they've tried Mm -hmm. now they're like okay we've tried trying we've tried to be you know hanging out with the oppressor trying to get them to understand now we're gonna take a big old step back and <laughs> got some distance between us eh. that's why i mean this brings me back to the point that this was said like a political commentary of this whole comic or at least this beef by him because it fabian cortez i feel like represents the people that aren't oppressed but are still kind of like apart like small like i would say if i had to compare fabian 
Rancor does something and he'd be like a, a white guy, you know, because he's like part of an oppressive group. Oh, definitely. But he still <laughs> gains like like societal view or whatever, you know, and he's not really like technically like oppressed, oppressed, but it is because the way he says this, he's like saying this, he's like, oh, because that's what their human, that's what their law, that's what Cole's law is. Can't kill a human. But he's like, oh, so we have to be nice to them. Like uh, Xavier said, don't call them flat scan. He's like, oh, so yeah, we have to be nice to them or we're in the wrong, correct? And that's what people say that like in that sense, they're like, well, I can't call, you know, the other people what they are or so we have to be on the same side. We have to meet them halfway. And that's what a lot of people try to do that are like trying to get them on their viewpoint. And that's what Fabian Cortez is. And then that's why he doesn't even let Xavier talk. And he's like, please, Charles, I've heard it before. And it's like, he's trying to manipulate them mentally and be like, oh, see, y'all are trying to be too soft on humans. And they, you know, we're supposed to meet them halfway, but we can't do that, right? Or that's what y'all are taught to do. He's like, oh, but don't answer. I already know what you're going to say. And it's like, none of these people are fooled by that. No, no, no. Like, they're all smarter than him. <laughs> I'm like, even Peppers, like, no offense to Peppers. I don't know him that much, but like, even Peppers yeah. is like, no, Butch, no. <laughs> Peppers is way smarter than Fabian Cortez. I mean, hell, the man deals with, you know, astrophysics and shit. Like, he's no slouch when it comes to the to the brain game. So, True. yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that he's like, we're so oppressed, but, you know, you're trying to make me be nice to our oppressors. It's like, no, bitch, we told you not to kill humans because we know that there's a lot more of them. If we just start randomly killing them indiscriminately, they're going to show up on our doorstep yet again, and we're going to have to go through that whole cycle of bullshit like we've done for the last several decades. Yeah. This is us taking a step back and trying not to invite trouble to the doorstep, as it were. Exactly. In this stance, you have to be the bigger people because not for them, but for your own sake. So your society can move along. And it's not to help them at all, it's to help yourself. So mm -hmm. there you yeah. go. Speaking of decades of old stuff, <laughs> I was some some kind of segue that was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Amelia is back. There we go. See, she's decades old. See, I haven't seen her in a long time. <laughs> and if you don't know her, she is obviously a mutant. She can, for the listeners or for even y'all, I don't know y'all's history with Amelia. But she's a mutant, you know, she can turn herself into men so much so that she can use that to go into the astral plane and teleport and teleport other people as well. Um, and she's the love interest of Nito. Not Professor X. Well, Professor Nito. Not, not Onslaught. Not Onslaught. All right. Uh, that's, a whole, that's a whole new thing right there. But yeah, she's a love triangle. Right? right? We don't we don't need that. We already have oh, Scott, Gene, and Logan. <laughs> um, a love fest, really. Not even love triangle. Um, but yeah, we haven't seen her since. We saw her on that thing that had no payoff um, when Magneto made the new Brotherhood of Mutants. I don't know if y'all remember that. It was during the X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold era. And it was towards the end of that before Hickman. Oh, like, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> she was there in the background. Oh. Yeah, she was there in the background. That's the last time we saw her. Nothing happened of that hmm. with that at all, because they didn't really know what was going to happen with the X-Men and Marvel at that moment. Because, um, you know, stuff was happening, rights and everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a touchy subject. But she's back now and she has that slick-ass red hair. <laughs> and she teleported that mercenary to kill some more um, lizard eagles. That's pretty cool. Ah, uh, the legend of Korra. <laughs> right? <laughs> It was, I mean, yeah, very legend. <laughs> but it was, I, it was well done. I, I oh, actually yeah. appreciated it. Because even I was going, who's doing this? 
I'm like, oh. And again, it's it's that kind of fastball special. Like, you combined two mutants, uh, or at least piggyback some of the stuff that they're doing. It's like, okay, I'll transform to Mist, go onto the astral plane, pick up somebody from Araco, and then take them across the frickin' universe to uh, carry out some uh, some business. I'm like, oh, okay. And then to find out who was pulling the strings. How did I not see that? How did I not see that coming? No, that was, it was really good. I, I love the reveal of the new mutant from Araco and I just love how they look. I love this design. I'm glad it's like, not like, they don't just look like a normal, like quote unquote person, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like their, their whole power set is just really interesting. It's not something you see at all. I really like it. And I like her eyes. <laughs> yeah, the eyes are my favorite part. At first I thought um, that, that maybe she was, uh, like Blink. I'm like, wait, I, I, I mean, I know Blink carries weapons, but I didn't think she was like mm. an assassin. But yeah, it's like, oh no, she's her own, like her own thing. And I'm like, that is so cool, honestly. Like, not only do I love the, the costumes, because the costumes are freaking just so much fun. But yeah, like I liked, I liked the character creation itself. Like the, the facial, um, what do you call it? The little facial markings, the eyes, just how how it was drawn was so <laughs> beautiful. And those those gorgeous words of I'm your placement. <laughs> that was the cherry on top of the shade humiliation Sunday for Fabian Cortez. <laughs> oh my god. You got handed your pink slip at a council meeting, like while you're naked, naked and covered in yolk. <laughs> Talk about egg on your face. I'm just saying. I'm just right, saying. Literally. <laughs> I I do love that we're also getting like another uh, uh, woman, woman, not women, woman mutant. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like, and I guess they're of color. They're not I mean, white. They, they, they have a color. They have a color. We don't know. They're not, they're not, they don't look white. <laughs> well, and as far as we know, they might not even be yeah, it's, female. I mean, oh, true. A lot of, a lot of this clothing and uh, just the haircut and like, hmm, maybe non-binary, which maybe, who knows, maybe, maybe Araco mutants just really aren't hung up on gender because who knows what gender the pile of rocks next to you or the blob next to you might actually be. Yeah. It might just be more about like, you know, personality and who you are. What yeah. do you do? I mean, they had years of war and fighting. So in, in years of war and fighting, are you more concerned about people's skills or what gender they identify as? Uh, <laughs> so I either like androgynous woman, whatever this character is, I'm glad it's just not like a white buff male coming to be like, I'm replacing Fabian Cortez. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Wait. just just to go back a little bit with Fabian Cortez's humiliation, because this is the best thing. <laughs> the main part and the best part. It was so delicious. It's like cake. You just want another slice of it. I love that just we get the facial expressions of Emma and Storm. And then, you know, Sinister saying he loves it. And even, even Sebastian Shaw is judging you. Now, when Sebastian Shaw is judging you on your performance like that, like he's judgmental anyway. Like, like I really do like from an art perspective how they were able to like fit in like little glances from around the council 
to really show you what people um, thought while still giving Fabian his full time to speak. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was brilliantly done. I love the way the paneling was uh, set up, and and yeah, the use of just like little glances, expressions of the face made a huge difference on on how that scene read. Like I think if they if you hadn't gotten all those little glances, you might not have understood how much they are absolutely taking the piss out of this self-righteous, self-important, you know, up his own asshole dickwad. Honestly. And I feel like um, that's probably one of my favorite parts of this whole Hickman era is that we get so many um, personalized moments, even if they're small, even if there's like one panel of different characters we usually don't see that often or we haven't seen like in this type of environment. And I feel like that's what's so special about this era is because we get like these like diplomatic moments we haven't gotten with these before. And just with these people in general and getting their different perspectives and seeing how they would react to like situations like this with Fabian Cortez's bullshit. <laughs> so, like, no one's surprised that Storm was like, this is getting ridiculous. We have a gallery for a motion to dismiss this meeting. I was like, yes, Queen, dismiss this fool. And it's funny because they just they left his naked ass there and everybody just had things that were far more important to do and just like and they weren't actually important important they were just like mm, I have things to do like wash my hair or try and seduce this woman I haven't seen in a couple of years like anything to just kind of walk the fuck away from it it's great <laughs> I didn't know until I read up on it honestly like I'm, probably, I'm like the listeners that probably don't know either about Amelia and I didn't know that she was a love interest of Xavier before he started the X-Men and I'm like ooh are they trying to set up Xavier to have a love interest. I'm like, I thought Magneto was his love interest, but it's right. <laughs> I might break up that power couple. I I'm like, ooh, look at Xavier trying to get some uh, some booty. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I was like, what should I? What I was like, what would be the right word? It's fine. He when is when have we seen Xavier get it on ever? Like in a while, in a uh, long time. It's been a long she, time. She our empress. True. That was wild though. You know, and I will say with that moment between them flirting. It was kind of like nice in a way to see Xavier not be that serious, because like in most issues where we see him, ninety-five percent uh, uh, it's usually him like planning things, having a very serious conversation. And this, it's nice to kind of see a different focus hmm. or perspective. It's harder to not. It's harder to dislike Xavier um, with moments like this because mm-hmm. you see him as like more of a person than just a oh, well the list goes on but <laughs> creepy old non-consent needing perv yes all those and more words <laughs> uh i i like to i like to believe with his, this new status that he has that he's better <laughs> one would hope he's better than when he had a crush on gene let's just say that. so right that's always right. an improvement y'all so but yes fabian cortez is left naked and alone in the council circle fully disgraced. Do we feel like he's gonna try to, like, be evil now, take that Krakoa, or try to prove himself? Oh, come on. Prove him... Well, I mean, like... Yeah, no. (laughs) I mean, like... You know he's gonna be evil. (laughs) Come on. Do you think he's gonna try to work with some humans instead? 
Does this try to get back at them? Or? Quite literally, you would need somebody to beat him within an inch of his life. And for a human or group of humans to save him, nurse him back to health, teach him to walk again, and, and, and give him a million dollars each in order to get him to not be evil at this point. You know he's going to do it. I mean, I'm excited to see. I feel like they're setting that up. Um, they might do another like turnaround and prove us wrong, because we were wrong about Magneto turning around but I'm excited to see it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's the great thing, though, is, like, uh, at least with S.W.O.R.D. and a couple other books, like, sometimes you don't always get what you predict, and that's that's what I'm looking for. I'm getting, I, I'm looking for something that isn't predictable. I like being sometimes surprised by little plot twists, or, oh, they go in a different direction. It's like, okay, different direction, but it makes sense. Shit, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I like the surprise. Yeah, like, I feel like if later, if Ewing were, was gonna do some type of, like, redemption type of moment for him it will be something that would definitely that we would not really expect at all in whatever story arc that happens in yeah i, w- I mean i wouldn't mind seeing it. i i'm okay with even the ones i don't care about turning a new leaf and being evil and being a good character mm-hmm. because this is what kakro is all about it is about turning a new leaf and even giving a chance to people you don't give a fuck about so <laughs> that's is what leaf is a new pair of pants <laughs> <laughs> speaking of turning a new leaf uh um, look how fucking gorgeous forearms looks in that one panel. Daddy is looking like a snack, and I made that post earlier about it, and people agreed. So I'm not the only one that thinks that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not mad at it. They, they big old boys, you know. You can take a run at that. You can climb that like a wall. You got four arms, right? A lot of four arms. You got four arms. Hopefully, he doesn't skip leg day. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, we didn't see his leg. I can't wait till we get a full image. <laughs> what do you think about him, Robbie? Would you kick him out of bed? <laughs> uh, I don't think I would kick most mutants out of bed, to be honest. I mean, that's fair point. That's fair point. I definitely agree. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think about it. Mo- yeah, like you said, most. most mutants. Yeah, okay. I was like, no, I'd kick a few out. I was like, uh. <laughs> I, I, I would kick Scott straight off a of balcony, so. I mean, I, he's got better. He's got better, but I'd still kick him off the balcony. I don't know. I feel like Scott's pretty good in bed, though. Because, like, he got Gene and Emma. Like, I yeah, feel like and he good. also tried to figure out if Madeline Pryor was just Gene Gray. Oh, no. I'm not talking about, like, having a conversation. <laughs> but, like, I'm talking about, like, in the bedroom. Yeah, I'm but still... you know he's going to be screaming out the wrong name. Oh, Gene. Oh, Gene. You're like, that is so not my name. Right. First of all, I'm a boy, so that's not my right. name. <laughs> this is not spelled G E N E. No, he would say Logan if he was with the guy. He'd say Logan. So. Oh man, that is gonna be such a just a grudge fuck, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. But, okay, so Magneto and Abigail have this talk, and I know, like, reading Al Ewing's um, past artworks in general, he leaves clues, and the clue is, you know, for him telling Abigail to be careful, mm-hmm. because not everyone's gonna see what she's doing as good. Yeah. You know? and, that, and Abigail's had moments like that come bite her in the butt already. Mm-hmm. So, and this is a bigger deal, because it's like, whole nation now, like, 
like you could go and hold yeah like like it was kind of ballsy of her to um pick the successor and and go about it the way she did because I'm, I'm trying so hard not to give spoilers um but at this same point in time this is abigail freaking brand so we know that this is very much in character for her and yeah she's not gonna she's not gonna play it soft like she knows how to play it close to the vest but she's not gonna mince words or be polite and just oh we're just gonna we're gonna try and figure it out the long way around where everybody's happy she's like no this is what needs to happen done i did not have a chance to look this up shame on me very unprofessional but i don't know what (laughs) The last, what, what is the last panel? What is that? What's that supply of? Do y'all know? No, I was actually going to ask you because I'm See? like, not sure. I was, I was supposed it's, to look it up. I forgot. So I saw all this. <laughs> the, you remember the, 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 the jewel that mm-hmm. they grabbed, uh, I want to say two or three issues ago. Mm-hmm. It was all shiny and black and shit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is this something that is a byproduct of or, or, you know, what, like, what is all of this? Is this medicine from the Krakoan flowers? Is this some sort of uh, resource from that black crystal that they picked up? Like, um, um, I don't know. Is it something else? Like, by all means listeners please tell us what it is because i want to know and same point in time i'm like uh this could be really good or this could be really really bad yeah i mean i feel like abigail's definitely stepping up her shit because she's like yeah you know influence galactic society is fine and all that's great that's what i do in like the morning time uh, but now my main focus is doing this farming these crystal things that we saw before and i guess like duplicating them somehow yeah. i don't know but it seems really cool and i'm really excited and I feel like it's going to do shit that's going to hit the fan in a bad way, and I can't. <laughs> right? right. They make uh, such. Oh, I, this is why I love them because they actually keep me kind of guessing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll have to say, Sword has probably been one of the the lesser predictable books for me, and there's always been plenty of you know twists, turns, uh, different concepts brought to the table, and I really, really love it because at the end of each freaking, at the end of each issue, I just I'm like, okay, so um, I'm gonna need the next like 40 issues, please. Oh, I have to wait another bunch. Damn you! <laughs> exactly. I feel the same way. Uh, I so I want to get our final thoughts on everything. Robbie, what are your final thoughts on this issue? I really enjoyed it. I thought, again, like most issues, placement with even small character moments are so hard to do, yet the execution is very well. The time dedicated to like, like this with the scenes of Fabian was nice. Even the scenes with like the aliens were like nice placement. And I really liked seeing a glimpse of more stuff with Amelia because she's definitely a character, like you said earlier, that we really do not get to see much. So I really hope that in future issues, well, I do imagine Ewing is going to really utilize every character really well and give them their screen time. So I'm very curious to see his plans for that character going forward and for the new character that we get to meet. I'm very excited that the whole thing with like the newer mutants of Arako, that that isn't some story that they just happen to use for like a little event to make some coin and they're just going to drop the concept. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that does happen with some big storylines. And But with this, you know, the writers are really taking that and growing with it and i really fucking love that 
Ewing is doing the thing with this book, and I can't wait to see the next issue. Exactly. I mean, same. what about you, Raven? You hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. I was like, nope, that's Thank exactly you. <laughs> that is that is exactly it. Like usually, you know, things can feel disconnected, or sometimes you just sometimes you just miss the nuance and whatnot. And this book has had beautiful amounts of nuance, great pacing. They've somehow been able to tie events into their main storyline and it feels almost seamless um so yeah no it's, they 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 are doing an amazing job with this book and i i love it i absolutely love it and i would love to meet the creator someday just to thank them in person for for putting it out such a wonderful book just thank you i love this issue i love that we came out swinging right after the king in black i'm glad it didn't like lose its speed at all after coming out of an event like because that can have no really fault to anybody it's just sometimes hard to pick up after an event. Um, but this one did great even better honestly um, I love that we are getting new characters our older characters that are new uh, like Amelia and then we're getting Korra Korra, Korra, Korra. oh Korra. I was like Korra like Korra like Legend of Korra yeah <laughs> I, I figured at least that's how my brain read it so. that's how I'm gonna read it because Al Ewing hasn't come on Twitter and said how to say it so Korra <laughs> um, but yeah I'm glad that I, I definitely agree with you Robbie that I'm glad it's not just being left on the table I figured they wouldn't because I mean they had that whole event about it and they were so excited but you never know hey everyone it's nathan and up next we are covering the new mutants where josh drew and i are covering shan and danny's hot lesbian adventures through other world is shan a little sweet on roma time will tell also we get into a great discussion about is farouk being redeemed or is he a cult leader time will tell on that as well we hope you'll enjoy this episode as much as we did making it welcome back to another segment of x is for podcast this week we're talking about new mutants 17 aka legacy number give me my fucking legacy number cb sabolsky written by vita ayala with art by rod reyes and letters by vcs travis lanham one more week into the ahmed farouk redemption train and Danny and Shan go on a magical lesbian fairy tale adventure. Vita Ayala does a phenomenal job of tying together Excalibur level Avalon fantasy other world stories with the struggles of young mutants who don't feel like they fit in, all with a magical whimsy that's perfectly captured by Rod Reyes's watercolors. New Mutant 17 was just a, a special type of issue, not like anything we're getting really in the other books on the line. And with me to talk about it today is is drew drew say hi and tell us where we can find you hey i'm drew you can find me online at on twitter and instagram at drucifer3 that's at d-r-e-w-s-i-p-h-e-r-3 we also have nathan here with us hey everybody it's nathan you can find me online on twitter and instagram at dazzler aoa and I'm Josh Wheel. As always, you can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W E I L, on Twitter and at asleepatthewheel.com. And for the next two years, as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at joshwheel.org. 
So in the green room, you know, we, we definitely, there. it's interesting because there's three of us on this recording today, and we all came into this with three completely different major topics to talk about from this book. So we're, we're going to hit all of them. I will save mine for last because because I'm a giver by nature. But we can start with what I know Nathan is most excited for and what I would just like to call Danny and Shan's lesbian fairy tale adventures. Because if I found out today that Marvel was greenlighting a 12-issue maxi series written by Vita Ayala, with art by Rod Reyes called Danny and Chan's Lesbian Fairy Tale Adventures, I would immediately sub and I would be down for all 12 issues and pre-ordering the deluxe hardcover to come out afterwards. Danny and Chan's Lesbian Fairy Tale Adventure was fantastic. And I know Nathan has a lot of thoughts about it. Nathan was fed for the first time. Nathan was starving to death. And this week he got fed. It is so hard to get good Shan content. Like, let me tell you, as probably like the massive Shan fan out there on Twitter, like I was so well fed from Shan oogling Roma when they first meet, which was perfect, right? And for those who, because no one else is in our group, group chat, I stopped mid-page when reading that and immediately had to start messaging Nathan about how good that panel was. Uh, let me tell you that was i think that was the first time since maybe mechanics and that one little panel we got in uh the uncanny 500 period where i've actually gotten to see shan just be openly lesbian she actually got to express her sexuality in a way that they really haven't let her do in the past usually she's just kind of like oh yeah i'm a lesbian but like she actually got to actively show attraction to of all people roma who was dressed in this i don't even know how to describe it but a j-lo deep cut uh dress Oh, Roma was, yeah, Roma was drawn to be very sexually alluring and beautiful, and she completely captured Shan's fantasy and attention there. Shan as a lesbian really reminds me a lot. You remember the old, it was like one of Tracy Morgan's first little like skits or jokes. I think it was a weekend update thing where he was like introducing himself on SNL. And he's like, you might know me from my recurring character as second black guy in the background. (laughs) You've seen me in skits like this. And they show a picture of him like standing in the background of a skit waving, (laughs) like, and I was also in this kid here with Tom Hanks. And he's like him again in the background. Just like, he's like, I'm second black guy in the background. It's become a pretty popular recurring character. And that's how like Shan as a lesbian feels to me. Because the only time we're ever made to remember that Shan's a lesbian is we're like, look, we're going to do a pride poster. Look, we put Shan in the far left corner. See her there? She's another one of our lesbian characters. Uh... Or they let her pine for years after Kate Pride, who is she really? Well, maybe worth it. I don't know. She'd be worth it to pine after, but she really wasn't having it at the time. Um, just the humor, the camaraderie, the action, the adventure. It was it was everything I could ever want. They're chasing after the bunny, and Shan is like, we better follow him. We're going to be late for a very important day. And he's like, no. <laughs> like... It's everything I could ever want, and it just reconfirms my long-held belief that Danny and Shan need to be oh, together forever. Danny and Shan are totally a, yes. Shani is a beautiful power couple, and Carmstar. <laughs> that sounded dirty. What? No, ooh, Carmstar. <laughs> like oh, Carmel, Carmstar. Gotcha. Carmstar. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, wait. Carmstar. <laughs> okay. Okay. Rod Reyes's watercolors for the magical effects are so beautiful. His paneling is much more. Linear and structured than a Marco Rudy. 
But what he's doing with the color blends really reminds me a lot of some of Marco Rudy's books, like when he was on the Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier title with just beautiful, beautiful color work. And the characterization that Vita does here for Danny and Shan, they have... It's not tension, but there's a comfortable flirt constantly and there's this history and, you know, the ability to make stupid jokes and like it's so much history between two characters paying off because this relationship was never deeply explored the way it could have been. So now you've got history and the first time really going through that relationship buildup, which is not a pair you get together. Usually like first time relationship buildup comes before history and Vita's playing it so nice. We've seen obviously Danny and Shan interact a lot before. Rose and Candy, that was my favorite part of it. That's why I stuck around until they had Shan go, Oh, hey, I'm gonna go pay care for my brother and sister again. Bye. But just the comfort, like you were saying, that they interact with each other on the way that they're able to subtly poke digs in each other, the way that they are able to just express like softness and and that they're able to complement each other. It's perfect. I loved this part. I thought it was beautifully drawn. It was so much fun to read. It, you know, made two characters that, you know, I, I, I already like and really enjoy watching, but it just made them so endearing as well, um, especially to when we get to the payoff, because these characters are playing different roles. They're nuanced and multifaceted like human beings are in you know this new shared universe and so we kind of forget that they're on this field trip because they're going after a lost mutant of theirs and then so it switches from kind of like slightly irresponsible mischievous lesbian friends to responsible young adult caretakers in their interactions with Josh at the end and it's not abrupt or it doesn't take you out like them writing it differently it's just character these characters are very real in the way Vita's writing them. Vita did a great job during the Age of X-Men on Prisoner X. Vita had Gabby there as well. And, you know, we saw what they can do with some of these characters. So I'm loving this. We haven't gotten to hear from Drew yet. Drew, were you as excited about Danny and Shan's lesbian fairy tale adventures as we were? Uh, yeah, like, I don't really, like, I haven't actually, I think I've only read one New Mutants book. Holy <gasps> uh, <gasps> shame. Which was the... The Zeb Wells stuff, um, but I'm gonna no, go no, back. No, and no, read, no, like, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and read the, the OG New Mutants, like basically the first omnibus worth of stuff. <laughs> um, uh, read the later part of it. <laughs> the later part of it. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> like that that mid, that good middle section, like the uh, first up until the sleepover. It's kind of. Yeah, so I basically, I, I read them through the epic collections, like not the, the omnibuses, and I have the Demon Bear Saga epic collection. Oh, yeah. I just need to get the, yeah. the first yeah. one. The original graphic novel and 1 through 17 are a lot of kind of like set up team building. The Sienkiewicz era is really like, it's, oh, yeah. it's just Sienkiewicz starting with 18, and that goes through about 40-ish, somewhere around there. You get, I think, two big Hellfire and Hellion stories. You get Warlock, you get Secret Wars crossovers, you get demon bear and shadow king i was just gonna yes and shadow king which also ties you into what might be the best issue of new mutants of any of them which is annual three which is part of the um asgard wars the new mutant Ooh. side of asgard wars oh the special um, edition right yes yep yes where they're all yeah that's when danny becomes a valkyrie and shan gets a quick crash diet for a yeah. year yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
they just realized that the big obese Shan was problematic. And so they put her in like a weird magical land and starved her for a year. And then she was thin again. And it was all, we could just forget that and move on. I think they said, wow, you look better than you ever did before. <laughs> like, okay, come on. That was a little too like. <laughs> but no, that's such yeah. a great issue. It's where all of the base relationships for these characters kind of got established in that run. The things that I kind of wanted to talk about were like the writing and the art. Rod Rice on this book, it's like so reminiscent of the Bill Sienkiewicz stuff. Like, I really don't think you can put another artist on this book except for someone who has that kind of style. Like even like Aesop Rudick, I think would be really good on, the, on like a New Mutants book too. As, there was this one page that I particularly like. The paneling on this one page is right after the first data page. It's kind of all over the place. It's all kind of like a clusterfuck. Do you guys want to see? It's, it's, With the big monster. Yeah. yeah. And then it goes back to like regular paneling. One of the things I want to say is I'd be really interested in seeing Vita doing like maybe like an arc or so on on Excalibur. I think the two of them, the way they do Otherworld, like with this style of art, really fun. And I think that this issue reminded me more of X, like the original Excalibur than the current Excalibur does. I see that. Yes. There's uh, that, this one had like kooky adventures of little Alps in Wonderland kind of hints and monsters and stuff that we're not really getting from Excalibur right now. It's more of the Captain Britain show. And I thought this this issue was very original Excalibur. Yes, it had that whimsy. One thing though, like you, you just said, and I brought this up once before, I really want just a month. And I don't care, it could be annuals. They could do a month of annuals and do this, or they could just do a specific month of the releases. I want a month. Month where everyone shuffles titles just a single issue bottle issue where you get teeny on marauders and vita on excalibur and jerry on x factor and per- where everyone's just on a different just doing a single issue of the other ones because they have these unique styles that fit so well for the titles they're on it would be great to see zeb wells bring his hellion stuff to marauders or to a different cast of characters i think that also danny was kind of the standout for me well out of all the new mutants She's my one of my favorites. But I was saying that maybe she could take Rogue's place on Excalibur. I could see that. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what happens with that Excalibur team now that we know Rogue is coming off of it. Yes. What that means for Gambit or Gambit stories, what that means for that team in general. Yeah, because Gambit really only seems to be on the team for Rogue, right? He doesn't really care about anybody else. He's so. like, uh, Mama Shahi, I have Gambit to be just- with you. Yeah, G- Gambit's just staying at home and, you know, like he's he's getting up early to make breakfast and for everyone. And I mean, he has a lot of cats that keep you busy. He has a lot so. of cats. Mm-hmm. With what you were mentioning, Drew, about this feeling like a real otherworld romp in the classic Excalibur vein, I have to agree with you. Vita, they have this voice for Roma in Merlin and the whole quest is about this old lamp that Merlin wants. It's not even magical. He just wanted it and Roma decided, hey, I'm going to take it when she was leaving because she just wanted to piss him off, right? So that pettiness right there is so central to where their characters progressed. It was so great to see. Yes, and the end, the resolution of that, that Roma gives them the lamp, basically just the setup for a future story where Roma's going to grab them anytime in the future for something they need in other worlds, which is the most dangerous place in the universe for mutants, is also very great. Maybe she just needs Chan for something, so I'm sure she oh, would she, like that. Yeah, I want her to do things. <laughs> 
All right, so let's let's go on. So we, we have kind of three stories in here. There's I don't want to call them the ABC because they don't follow that particular resolution. They don't track throughout the issue that way. But we could definitely say the B story on this is following our younger kids. So we have a story here with Anale and Gabby and that crew. And they're practicing using uh, Cosmar's mind swappy powers on shit they probably shouldn't be mind swapping <laughs> with. <laughs> they made Rainboy a flower. I was worried Rainboy was going to turn into one of those villains from the arcade game, you know, where they've got the like little Krakoa things with like the flowers on them. I can part feel of it. myself photosynthesizing. I think, I think I was photosynthesizing. But we get some really interesting things with what they're trying to do here and Anale. I don't know. What are your feelings on Anale? I know some people have really strong feelings. I feel like Anale has just kind of been barely scratched below the surface with promises of deeper character arcs so much that now it's at the point we feel like we've had deep character arcs because we've had a million shallow arcs of Anale. I'm familiar with Anale, but I don't feel a deep connection because... Also, is it Anale or is it Anole? That was Anole, so like... (laughs) Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I will say (laughs) Anale, Drew will say Anole, and Nathan will say Anole, and then it'll probably be something else and we'll all be wrong, but we'll try to cover as many bases as we can. (laughs) If it was Anole, though, I think there would be an accent on the E. Yeah, you're right. I always like calling him just anal. They've been a character throughout this entire book, haven't they? Even not in the Vita. Yeah, they've been in the background. They usually put Shan in the background. So probably as much as that. Yeah. Really more when Vita took over with the Wild Hunt and started grouping the younger kids together. Anale got grouped with this younger one, even though Anale's also been in the choir group and the glob groups, the Academy X. Anale, yeah. Like Anale's been and but that, that's what Hope I mean. and they've yeah. been around. Anale's and, been they, they've been around this entire series so like that's kind of like they they feel very familiar and stuff no like yeah Anale's been in the armor group a lot and armor's gonna be in x armor's gonna be in the new x-men group for now right no no sunfire oh armor didn't get chosen right 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 right, right. armor was one of the vote ones yeah yeah Yeah, but like no one's voting for like Anale is not (laughs) Anale hasn't Anale is not even making the ballot for like What's up with Anale? What are we doing with Anale? So Vic has been characterized a lot with his relationship with Rockslide, right? So that was the majority of the stuff that we got in Academy X or the new X-Men era stuff. His friendship Rose with... Rose and Kenny as well. So like they, yeah, they, they did that some of that. in Disassemble. Yeah. Yes, they did. They sure did. I would say, to me, the most realized recently would have been the Rose and Kenny stuff. I'm pretty sure he was the one who released The Cure. So he's been a very conflicted character. And I love that we're getting this characterization of him now. I love how Vita, they're setting up the divide between the human passing mutants with the more mutated mutants. And that's something I know I've seen a lot of chatter online that they want to see a lot more of those more mutant characters be spotlighted. This is something that they've always done kind of. I remember, I think it was one of the opening scenes in Brian K. Vaughn's Chamber miniseries where Cyclops has a mission for Chamber and he goes in and Chamber's teaching a class on how to be a mutant when you're non-human passing, how to go through life. And it's like a whole bunch of characters talking about, I can't be sex or have romantic relationships. And Chamber's, it fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. 
I know Gail Simone did a thing too, where she had Nightcrawler doing a Nightcrawler had a support yes. group for non-passing yes. mutants that he was trying to get Domino to come in and talk at, kind of talk about their feelings. It's a deep well that doesn't get explored enough. I'm happy for that. At the same time, like you said, I've always kind of been wondering why are we not seeing Annalay more upset or like about the rock slide stuff? Like why yeah. is that disconnect? Like he's playing with new friends. Especially in like since rock slide is not really the same anymore, it would be nice to play with their friendship like yeah in that kind of like that he's a different person going back to what we were talking about before it kind of makes sense with the twitter conversation if, you, if you're not like aware of it everyone on the new x-men team is pretty much human passing and they they none of them have any physical um deformalities and it kind of makes sense with what's with what's happening in new mutant danny is all like no you're fine you're fine you're fine we love you the way you look right now it's these human passing people who are just like don't worry like you're fine like we like you the way you are they're not experiencing it so they're like whatever and that kind of is reflecting now on the X-Men team. It's kind of like that's kind of how their society is being run and doesn't need to be fixed yet. I think it's something that they should like this. The society needs to realize that as a whole. That- yes. It's very much like we elected a black president, we cured racism. Like, look, there's no more mutants around to hate you. And so, you know, all of your body issues or fears about not fitting in or what you look like, all of your dysmorphia, like all of that's gone. Like, you don't have that anymore. (laughs) They're like, but I'm still a big blue guy with fucking horns. And every time I see them, I remember my father screaming at me and trying to kill me. No, it's gone. You're better. We're on Krakoa now. (laughs) There is that. I liked the way that Vita did it here really going from Annalee on one page just kind of having this emotional break and yelling at Gabby even though Gabby didn't do anything wrong and Jonathan's looking at him confused like why are you yelling at my human to then you turn the page and we're on um, Sevalith you know which is supposed to be like the big dark scary one and so Danny and Shan come running in like we're gonna save you from this monster and Josh is like, no, like, I made cool friends. Like, these are my friends. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, and they're judging, like, because he's got, you know, he looks like a Malekith kind of dark elf. And it's like, no, like, he's just cool. We're playing Xbox. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> with the ending of what's gonna happen if danny is uh shan's crucible partner it like it kind of like settles in that they don't understand because a couple of issues ago when you had cosmo if danny crucibles for shan which i don't even know why the crucible is the right place for shan to go yeah, after danny either. rejected Cosmar, fuck That's, danny on that one i literally wrote i'm can't i'm canceling this book <laughs> like i'm not i'm done with x-men i'm leaving the podcast sorry guys like i'm done because but I want it to happen because that's the drama I live for. Um, but it would—it it just kind of cements that. It's like, no, you're fine. Like, we love you the way you are. Oh, but my friend Shannon needs help with this. So this can happen. I got you. I got you. You don't understand because that like thought process of you don't understand and you'll do it for them, but not for me. And, you know, picking and choosing. Why are only, again, like you brought up, like the passing mutants. Why is it like Danny, Shan, Ilyana, Warpath, who are the ones that like the kids can come to like where the fuck is chamber like chamber was in this book before chamber is one of the characters i am most waiting on chamber has never gotten to kiss a girl because he hit puberty and blew his fucking mouth off of his face 
Where is Chamber, who I feel like he knows, he learned from Sync when Sync uses his powers, that he, he can be just as powerful without having to have his powers leaking out of his big gaping neck face chest hole. Where is he to go through the crucible to be reborn with a mouth so he can feel normal and repair his body issues and his emotional damage and still have all of his powers and be a powerful mutant? Where is he to be the one? He should be here with Cosmo. Smar and Annalay during this, not Danny or even Gabby. Like, I think you're beautiful the way you are. No, look, look, I'm I'm just as shunned from society. See, I can make little a little metal thing come out of my hand sometimes <laughs> when I want to. I did love in that conversation, argument, however you want to phrase it, that they had. I did love that Gabby's point of view with the bodies was very much rooted in the fact that she's a clone. So the fact that Gabby was really uncomfortable with the idea of them taking over even the husks of a body that had passed on was so rooted in her upbringing, her fears about Krakoa in general, especially with what happened with Maddie Pryor and Alex going around the aisle saying, they won't bring Maddie back. They won't bring Maddie back. But it's just so rooted in those characters, the positions that they both took. And it also brings up a lot of things about bodily autonomy. So if you have a new body or you're not inhabiting it, should other people be allowed to fuck with your old body? Because that can be super creepy as well and violating of someone's, even if it's not the body you're in anymore, should you be inhabiting or, or messing with someone's old body? Because someone's going to fuck around and do something. Someone's going to cross the line there real yeah. quick, real quick in a way that's super uncomfortable and creepy. The way I thought about it too. Too, was like how would you feel if someone just like went and dug up like a dead relative that you had you know what i mean i'm like like no like that's just like yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean we've seen like if you read any batman comics like that happens to batman like every six months and he never <laughs> likes it <laughs> okay. it does and you know it it does it does all right, so this brings us to the third and final story track here in New Mutants, which is the opening act, which is the most important one, no matter what Nathan says. And that is <laughs> the redemption of one Ahmed Farouk, which is very, very important to me. And I do like that. We're getting Farouk and Shan having stories really kind of detailing their growth and coming of their own in Krakoa at the same time, because these are two characters that are are tied together. You know, uh, we even mentioned earlier that I'm um, talking about on the OG New Mutants run, the Shadow King stuff where he possessed Shan and Shan became obese and, you know, they, they made Shan to be obese and then that had to be fixed. And that doesn't mean bad. We have Farouk and... I know I brought this up once before, and this is my Islamic take, is that the way the way Muslims are in our own personal communal gatherings, not the way we interact with non-Muslims in Western society as a whole, but there's a natural deferment. So when a group of Muslims pray and they're not in a mosque, right? Because if you're in a mosque, the mosque has someone who's going to leave most of the time. Sometimes, you know, if, if the imam's out or, you know, there's a choice, but basically everyone knows. There's rarely ever posturing among Muslims where, you know, everyone pushes their chest and is like no like i'm the leader i should lead the prayer or no i'm the alpha like there's usually a typically there is a very kind of natural humility where everyone knows who to defer to like you know who's going to lead the prayer and no one's going to question it on krakoa i've felt especially once we saw him pop out in x-men empire farouk would be that guy and when 
we got him split from Shadow King when Vita did this retcon that told us that Shadow King is not the code name of this evil guy named Ahmed Farouk, but Shadow King is this psychic parasite that had corrupted and taking over and bonded to Farouk and was responsible for, I'm not responsible, but you know, Farouk kind of sold himself to him in out of power and des- desperation and bad decisions young people make. But now you have Farouk separate from it. This is a new birth. This is a a new life, much like what we saw with Apocalypse and Exodus, people finding their, Frederick J. Dukes, finding their place in this new world. Pyro, Ahmed Farouk now does as well. And I'm going to be disappointed in rioting if it just turns out that he's still an evil asshole motherfucker because you cannot keep terrorist coding every fucking Muslim character. And the fact that we're slowly peeling back the layers and getting depth, I have been calling this from the very first issue like, yes, Farouk redemption. Like, we're not going to call him Shadow King or SK. We're calling him Ahmed Farouk. Like, we're referring to him like that. And, and we get it in the opening here. We get him visiting Rain and these beautiful pages because Rain is going through some stuff with Tyr. Rain, she's wanted her boy resurrected and they can't resurrect him because he's not officially dead, which means he's out there somewhere and she doesn't know what that means or how to get him back. And Farouk comes and visits her and really talks to her from a place of empathy, talking about how when he lost his father and what that did and feeling alone in the dark that the shadows had teeth and what led to him being essentially succumbing to the Shadow King. And Rain doesn't trust him, nor does she have any reason to because of their experience. But here he tells her, I'm a psychic creature. The anguish you're experiencing is sending sharp ripples through the island and you're not the only one. There are others here, children who cry, but with their minds, much like I did once. I'm doing my best to help them, but I sense in you someone who has an understanding for what they need in a way I do not. I was the child, never the parent. And what came for me, I would rather it be you. When he was the child in desperation, much like Cosmar is now, it was a psychic parasite that came and preyed on him, not a mother who had lost a child and could help fill a hole and build a relationship that could provide comfort or solace. And that's where Rain can be right now. Rain is a mother without children, and there are children without parents on this island, and they can can have a relationship for each other. And he's identifying that as someone who was preyed upon as a child who lost their parent and able to feel the psychic anguish. I love the use of this. I love, I've wanted to see him, right? I felt that knowing, not just Muslims, but knowing... Egyptian men like Ahmed Farouk as well, and the Islamic culture there. This is what I've wanted for him. This is what I've really wanted to see this character become, that he would be the one when Soraya and other Muslim characters, you know, like when they're going to pray, he would be the one leading the call to pray. You know, he would be the one standing in front and reciting, and there would just be a natural deference that he is this kind of older Egyptian male from Cairo, from a city of scholars, from the city of Azhar, which is considered one of the greatest Islamic universities in the world. He comes from this place and it is, the culture is part of his life. 
And I, I just, I love that he could be fitting that. He, we're going to get a fully realized, and I'm going to be so fucking pissed if this isn't what happens now because we're too far along in this story. We're going to get a fully realized Muslim man, Egyptian character of faith interacting with others in a way where we don't have to talk about him as tangible Muslim character bringing up his Islamicity, just acting and living the way he would without it having to be like big flaring lights. Look, Muslim representation or immediately terrorist coded villain. This means a lot to me in a way that some of our other characters can't. It's great that we get Muslim diversity, but one of the things that happens too often is, and especially with Westerners writing them, is that in order to get a Muslim character that's relatable in the West, you have to de-Islamicate them. It has to be like, look, this is a Muslim, but she's cool because she doesn't wear hijab. She's still Muslim, even though she doesn't. Or look, he's Muslim and he's gay. And so he's rebelling against her. Look, it's like they're Muslim, but then they're going to not be Muslim in a way. So you know, they're okay. Because if they were fully Muslim, they'd still be fucking bad or scary. We have to un-Muslim them to make them relatable and okay in the West. And Baruch doesn't have to be un-Muslimed here, which that's what I'm personally looking for in loving and you know it was only a couple pages at the beginning and we've been getting the slow crawl of this with only a couple pages of interaction with him since Vita started but I'm here for this I'm here for the Ahmed Farouk redemption story and the reestablishment of an Islamic patriarchal character on Krakoa and you get characters like Dust who like she does wear her hijab and everything but she's also not really seen like we haven't seen her in a minute she's in um, Champions oh true because mm-hmm. she's in another title <laughs> it's funny my wife and I were looking through together some of the stories with Dust, particularly the, not Mercury Rising, the four-issue miniseries, Hellions miniseries, where (laughs) they got the chance to have a, a wish fulfilled. And Soraya's wish was to go back and find her mother and, and be able to talk to her mother in the Afghani refugee camp. And, you know, her mother didn't understand because they had been oppressed by the Taliban. Like, why are you still wearing this address like that? She talks about like, the freedom that in the West, it can be my choice and I can own it. It's not put upon me. I have the opportunity to embrace my faith without a feeling of compulsion or oppression and how important that was for her. And I loved that. At the same time, they weren't at all dressed like Afghanis. They were just in typical (laughs) black burqa niqab in a way that is much more associated with Gulf Muslims and um, Khaliji women in like Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or the Emirates. It was maybe even a little closer to, you know, the mom was maybe a little more to Egyptian where at least it's where it's still more flowing. But sometimes the Khalijis, even if you're going to have like the form fitting, like, look, I'm going to be modest, but I'm going to be modest in a way that maybe I kind of want it to be as sexy as I can without getting in trouble because I'm still going to be modest. That's really kind of like a Kuwait Emiratis type of social status thing. But it's not Afghanistan. Afghanistan is very different type of look and design. And so, you know, we did have those conversations that she is still kind of just like, well, this is what we all think a Muslim woman from over there a stand looks like. Um, but but done well, she's been given agency. But I feel like that's when they use her as like, oh, we need to go to the Middle East. Yeah. That's, oh, that's what they did in Champions the first time. I'm so over like 
black people being slaves and like again muslims being terrorists and asians being super smart like all these stereotypes playing that's why i'm so glad that storm is gonna have her adventure in space because it's something interesting for like a poc to do and it happens a more in film but you get these same stories from these same uh, like ethnic groups you know just being retold and look at the reaction to Tanahasi Coates when he they relaunched Black Panther as like the intergalactic kingdom of Wakanda and people <laughs> were like what the fuck like Black Panther should be like in the jungles in Africa and it's like no black people can be in more places than just the jungles of Africa bitch <laughs> exactly. like no and it's they like, can go to space black and people can go to space too and <laughs> Asians are, are more than just being super smart and ninja history and stuff like yeah. like move on from that trope let's have some more interesting yeah. um, things for them to do instead of just just cultural stereotypes with the Farouk piece thank you for sharing your thoughts Josh because it's caused me to rethink some of what I'm what I've been thinking so I, I will tell you guys what my initial take was. So here's, and it might just be because I've binged a whole lot of stuff about cults. Like I just brought, you were watching American Horror Story cult. I've been watching Leah Remini's um, Scientology stuff. And um, and I've also Handmade Tale. So I just rewatched that too. So it might just be because it is what is in the forefront of my mind with the media that I've just consumed recently. To me, what concerns me about the fruit conversation with Rain and the group of children that he has collected looking at the exchange with rain she is at the lowest point in her life right now she's laying on the floor crying this charismatic man comes in offers her a chance to be better and it seems the way he's doing it and this is just my take on it is through manipulation if you look at the group of mutants that he has collected they have been a lot of the non-human passing mutants the ones that are going through these issues as well who it could have somebody come in be a very charismatic leader to them and has some cult properties and again that's definitely a bias of the media that i've recently consumed that i've seen a lot of these techniques on people that maybe could be preyed upon in the society that don't fit in with the society and the promise of what he's giving them. I do see what you're saying, Josh, and I hope you're right because it would be nice to have him get a redemption and for this to be very altruistic. I just see some worry signs that are giving me I see some red yeah. flags in it. Un- unfortunately, yeah, both of those and that that's why I'm still a little, I'm not like, no, this is clearly redemption. It's like man, if it's not, I'm be so fucking pissed because both of those stories get set up the same way. Right. If it's him preying upon the vulnerable or if it's him redeeming himself by trying to find the by feeling the psychic anguish on the island of the children and relating to it because we've gotten this new backstory and him trying to help provide comfort in this new life where he's free of the psychic parasite. Unfortunately, both of those stories start out the exact same way. And (laughs) yes, like if it's the latter, um, yeah, like uh, we're going to have a very, very unhappy Josh on one of these future episodes i can see it going both ways though yeah my initial reaction was more like nathan's like that's what i thought was gonna happen but i also like know shadow king as being like an extreme horrible like probably one of the worst villains and and that might be what is clouding our perception our past knowledge of what farouk has done especially obviously being a huge karma fan what he did to shian during that period which obviously now has been set up more as the psychic parasite as you were mentioning and not farouk himself 
it's hard sometimes to separate Farouk from the Shadow King because this is the first time we're really seeing that. So we don't mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to see who Farouk is versus who he was as the Shadow King. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I was waiting for this. Like for me, I was I was so excited when we flipped that page in Empire and there was the reveal that Farouk was on the island and he was coming out with them and he was on like Team Mutants now. Yes, 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 yes. Like I've been waiting for Farouk since House of X2. I've been waiting for revisits of Destiny being murdered and, you know, the Shadow King's influence on that and whether part of this retcon is going to be that Moira and Xavier used this whole guise of Shadow King, you know, that they were taking over people and pretending it was Shadow King so that way they could try to assassinate and take Destiny and Mystique out. Like, it fits so perfectly and I really wanted him on the island and the fact that he is, because I had this thought about it one time. We saw a panel with a couple Muslim characters and I was like yes they're on the island and then muslim me was immediately thinking like oh they have a place to pray there's there's definitely you know your talks nightcrawlers talking about religion on the island and what they're doing and i'm like there's going to be a total like the muslims get to all pray together they're going to have like their little masala and their little place where they pray and i'm like who would lead muslim prayer on the island and ask some kind of skimming through my brain and going through it all i'm like it would be farouk like if he's there if he's there somewhere it's farouk he's he's the one who would be you know they'd be deferring put off and he also wears the little fez hat so that that's the thing too like <laughs> Like, okay, so just a little Muslim tangent. This is what happens sometimes. So when you're in like an informal group, whoever's leading the prayer is supposed to have a head cover. It oh. doesn't have to be anything. It could be could be a like watercolored Mickey Mouse baseball cap. It could be anything. But you're supposed to have a head covering. So if there's, you know, three, four friends or whatever, and they're like, oh, you're going to do this or that. And the person who's going to go up isn't wearing a hat, but someone else is, then they like, it's just obligatory. Like, okay, I have to take your hat and wear your hat. Like, and you wear the hat while like you lead the prayer. Because uh, like you're supposed to, if there's a hat and you're leading, then you're supposed to lead the prayer. And so also he always, that's why you see men like that always wearing like a Fez hat or something or some sort of hat, like cultural norm head covering in their country, because this is, they're prepared because at prayer time, they're most likely to be the one to step forward and lead the prayer and, and have a head covering on. Like it's part, they're, they're just always in that mode. They always have a head covering on as part of their thing because that's who they are. Him with his Fez all the time as well, to me just reads, could see him like if he wasn't wearing the fez he would take it off of someone else and put it on his head as he walked up there like i like he's that egyptian guy that i prayed with okay i recognize him in that and so i'm very yes like i've been waiting for this and i'm happy and it is so far going exactly the way it would need to be to be the thing that i really want for this character um so i can just all i got is just to hope that it keeps going that way final thoughts on new mutants where this is going next and why the fuck shan needs to be killed for her brother who may be inside of her but is also in a fairy tale rabbit to be resurrected this part of the issue is where I started shaking my head. So if Cerebro takes the backup of their soul as it is, so if Shan's soul is really intertwined with Tran right now, how would the Cerebro backup not be the intertwined version of their souls together? I don't know that Tran was ever resurrected solely at a point where they could have made a Cerebro backup just of him, unless during Dead Soul they created, somehow got a separate backup created for him when he was in control of Shan's body. Also, how would they get the DNA 
to create the husk itself since i mean theoretically i guess maybe you could find we're just gonna somewhere. assume sinister has everyone's dna we just right. have a magic <laughs> we have a magic we have one of those mr clean magic erases for all of these issues and it just says sinister has your dna shut up <laughs> i i guess you could easily find some way for sinister to sneak into it's not where did they end up being? Because they, they created the Marvel War that was supposed to take over Vietnam and Korea and all of that stuff. You remember what that was called? Um, it's like some fake Marvel War that set all of like Vietnam, Korea stories into it. I don't because that was like Malar era when they reset that. Because originally, yeah. like you know, the Punisher fought in Vietnam. There was a right. Vietnam War originally, and then timey wimey, wibbly wobbly Marvel retcon stuff. The Sien Cong War. <sighs> S-I-A-N-C-O-N-G. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds it, right. Says, right. it says it takes... I, I just Googled it. So I, I guess it's theoretically possible that Sinister did sneak in to that war area to get trans DNA. I just... It's, I'll suspend belief on that. I would, though, like to see Tran, Xian, Naga Liang, and Susan Hatchie just all have a family drama miniseries on the island somewhere. That would probably blow Real Housewives of everything out of the water with the drama. True. what are your thoughts for where New Mutants is heading or what Vita is doing in general with young characters? One of the interesting things that I think is that Vita is writing two books right now and both of them are about kids, like teens, kids. And to me, they're written very differently. In New Mutants, it seems very fresh. It seems to me like we have this group of kids who are, you know, they're they're by themselves and they're like, why don't we go play with dead bodies and experiment? Like, I'm, I'm like, yes, that's what kids would get up to if they're by themselves right like they <laughs> they, they cause shit and and get into like that kind of stuff but then when we get into children of the atom i just kind of the writing for them is very it's different and it doesn't seem like real to me and i just like i, I was just like i refer to it as situation. they have that dawson's creek thing where they're teenagers who talk like you know they're written by aaron sorkin <laughs> Like yeah, Aaron and Sorkin adults. Kind of, like that's I, when I was reading this issue, I was comparing them in my head. Yeah, and I've had as a high school teacher, I've had kids who are like that, and particularly I would say too that most of the kids who are that way are kids who have dealt with trauma and have been forced to kind of mature or be adults earlier in their life. You know, where where they're forced to take on adult responsibilities that kids shouldn't have to, so that by the time they're 15, 16, they kind of think of themselves more as adults than they are and come off like adults and little bodies sometimes and for the students that I've had it, it's it's a result of you know coping with trauma and being forced to have grown up too early and it's a real thing and I've had students like that and I've had students also that just like you said would like if you left them alone for five minutes they'd find a dead body to fuck with like yes yes those those teenagers are teenagers do stupid things that is true that is more common and they're both real if children of the atom can like stick a landing or find its ground like I just have no idea what going on with that book i don't know why or who or what these kids are supposed to be yes there could be a way that them sounding so different and being this different thing makes sense yeah it, it's just really hard for me to kind of get a feel on those characters or or what they're doing or why they're maybe it has to do with whatever the mystery is obviously are they humans that are enhancing themselves to have mutant powers really depends on what the mystery behind the book is i'm thinking also is kind of weird but not so because if they're really into mutant culture 
obviously, then they would really be into Dazzler because we saw Franklin Richards when he was discovering his mutant mm-hmm. identity that was taken away from him. He really got into mutant music, which included some Dazzler stuff too. But I would think that Dazzler would have been a older music set than what the kids would have been into except for that mutant identity issue why does it seem like it's so hard for writers to introduce like groups of new characters at once in like big two books when they do it effortlessly and at a really high level all the time in indie books like every fucking new indie book is just like a whole world of new fucking characters you've never seen before and somehow like they find their ground and their voice and everything super quick and goes but when you try to introduce a whole bunch of new characters at once in a big two book it's like but i don't even know who any of these characters are like why can't we find a feel or a voice for them it feels like that happens a lot it's why you don't get a lot of new team books you tend to get like one new character introduced as the outside perspective to a group of characters you already know like trickled in at a time in big two books usually i think there's they're spending a lot of time all of the writers when they do that to tie the new characters into the shared universe that already exists so a lot of times when you get the whole new character book you will spend like two issues talking about "Ooh, it's a dazzler concert or "Ooh, look here's storm she's gonna come save the day so i, I think it's tying it into that shared universe it's also the problem not only that but you also have to do that like connect all these characters into the one universe and then you want them to also have interpersonal relationships with each other but it's a lot more work than having to introduce just one character 